That was fun. We also had fun. I had took a small group of people uh, last Sunday after church to that. Um, and I actually had a series of dreams that told me to do it. And I want to talk about that subject that God brought up with me to have me do that today a little bit. And then next week we're going to get back to, to Romans 6 and we're going to pick up Romans 6, 1 and go on. But I had a series of dreams and, and, and I just kind of waited to seek who would want to come along. And we had a handful of people. I didn't want very many people. And we went out there and, and as I spoke about last week, instead of going at it a traditional way, we went on in a way of repentance. Repentance in our own life for what we had allowed in our own life as gatekeepers. Repentance uh, over the people who were there. So many people are there out of ignorance, just going to have a good time. Repentance over the land that we'd be made holy. Because what we believe, and what I believe now more than ever, that if you sanctify the ground under your feet and, and, and close that door by doing that to the enemy, the enemy doesn't like to be around where God is. So if you bring God in there, then his presence drops in a different way. And so we did that. We walked, uh, actually uh, kind of walked around the whole thing. But when we got to the beach, the uh, guys were playing, Mondo was playing, Lewis was playing, and uh, a couple of people, uh, uh, Diane was playing. People came around and started dancing with us. And it was kind of fun. But what was really fun is all of a sudden you could feel a, a breeze. It was like a real, not a gentle, gentle, but not a strong, but a, but a solid breeze of the presence of God coming in on the land. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. It was like being, have you ever been in a place where a kind of revival is happening and you just feel the presence just going there? Well, that's what it was like. It was just pouring at us, the presence of God. And the reason I went out there is because that's this city and Venice is a gate to Santa Monica and to Hollywood. And we opened that gate that day. Now, the Lord's told me that we have to keep it open. But we got a chance and we got to open it up. Now, a problem I've always seen, and I think all of us are guilty of it, is we think, who are we to make a difference? And that's the thing that God dealt me with with some dreams. He started reminding me in the scriptures of all the times he did great things and how he chose to just use a few people to do it. He didn't have an equal army. He had a a few compared to thousands. And there's a statement in that that I don't think we really understand. And I'm going to go over one of those scriptures today to talk about it because it, it made a profound impact on my life of how I'm to look at things. In the past, I've tried to look at how many people I can gather or we can get together that we have to have a certain amount of people to bring about God's presence. But God showed me very clearly it's me and God, and that's a majority. You and God is a majority. It's not about having the numbers. What we've done is we've bought into the world system in a way that I hadn't really thought about before. The world system says that you have to have a large amount of things. Everything big is better. Numbers count. What you see out here is what matters. Now, that is absolutely contrary, really, to the kingdom of God. I mean, if you just talk about the one that says, wide is the gate to hell, and narrow is the pathway 
to enlightenment, to God. Few find it. Few. His economics and his system is different than ours in this world. His system is taking the few, the foolish things, to confound the wise. I want to read that scripture. I, I, I really like that scripture, so I'm going to read that scripture. Let me get back to my message here. He chooses the lowly things of this world and despises things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus and who has become for us wisdom from God. This is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, at, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That scripture, 1 Corinthians 1 1 through 27, actually I didn't read all the rest of it, speaks of that very subject. He wants a system, a kingdom, that we don't think it's about ourselves. We know that we couldn't do it on our own. That's why we have lots of things go wrong in our life, and we get set in situations that look extremely impossible. God is the God of impossibilities. He likes impossibilities. He likes to make things that seem to be absolutely without chance that you could actually succeed. A long time ago, I realized this particular, uh, uh, what do we say, um, way or principle of God in my life. And it works something like this, and I've said it to you a lot of times before, is that I always feel I'm in the right place when I feel like I'm out on a limb and somebody's cutting it off behind me. That I know, and that's the truth. I'm not joking. That is I know when God has got me in the right place. And I'm listening to God and doing it. Now that's a place that we don't like to be. But we have to get really comfortable with it because it's God's ways. We perish because we don't understand his ways. We perish because we don't know how he works. Well, this is how he works. And I, in this particular situation, I have missed it for quite a while. I've missed by thinking that I have to have this or that, we can't make an we can't make an uh, an impact unless there's a bunch of us. Now, even though Timothy Bentz came to us recently and talked about gates, we're a gate church to Hollywood, are notoriously small because of the level of maturity. And holiness that God needs to bring through it, the more people you have, the bigger chance you have of letting wrong things in. And that it doesn't matter about how many people you have. Actually, Linda Prince, the first one, really made that point to me. It just matters the authority you've been giving. Well, you've been given great authority. As gatekeepers and as men and women, as children or sons of the living God, we've been given absolute, total authority. But we haven't really believed it. We haven't really believed that God would trust us with so much, but he has. We haven't believed it because one, we don't look like the rest of the world looks like. And because we have some limps in our life. You know, Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life after he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. He walked with a limp. He was different. He was changed. He was weakened in a particular thing that he depended on. Paul says, you know, he says, you know, I prayed, I think it was three times to have this thing taken away from me, but... The Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient. Why? Because he was a strong man and he wanted him to rely on him. Well, that's what God wants to do with us. 
He wants us to rely on him. Now, I want to, uh, let's see if I can find the scripture. Now, when I've read these scriptures in the past, I saw the principles, but I, and, and I know they're principles that someone apply to me, but I didn't really get how much they apply to me. And we're just going to go through one of them. That's a little long, and I'm going to have my wife read it, and then I'm going to stop her as we go along and uh, uh, just talk a little bit about that. It's going to be Judges 6, verse 1. Now, there's lots of examples, obviously. You know, you think about David and Goliath. You think about, uh, well, Elisha. Uh, remember uh, Elisha? He said in Second Kings six fifteen through 17, they were surrounded by this great, massive army. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the next morning, the army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my God, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those are with them. Elijah prayed. We've heard that. And we know that story very, very well. And that he prayed and his servant's eyes were open and he saw this massive army around him. It's here today. When we got the chance last Sunday to go out there, there, we were greater than them. Though there were just a few of us, and on purpose a few of us, went. We had a greater army than them because we had the king of kings with us and his host of angels. But we don't see that stuff. And we don't think of scriptures like that or for us to know that that's what surrounds us. We don't realize that that's the very same thing that God wants us to understand and the only difference between our success in walking those things out is our ability, faith, to believe those things. But yet the world is, and the enemy has caused us to turn back and fear. He's caused us to fall back in unbelief and not become and not receive the things that God has promises. God has promised us great things. He promised us first we do greater things than him. Okay. That we're going to go past what he did on earth. But we really don't believe that. If we did, we'd be doing it. He included. But I'm seeing something now that I've never seen before. I'm getting a hold of something that I couldn't get a hold of before. I'm, I'm seeing the same. The, the, the number with us is greater than the number of all this other stuff. You think about it with an election. We have a big, very important election come. And we kind of throw up a few prayers towards it because we don't think we can make a difference. And as long as we think that way and believe that way, we won't make a difference because we're praying in total lack of faith. But the truth is we have power to change the whole world. We have the power to pray the things in. Because what did he say? You know, if, if, if you just believe, you tell that mountain to jump in the ocean, it'll do it. He wasn't lying. He wasn't kidding. He meant that. Okay, let's, let's start off with that. Um, Judges 6, 1. I'm going to stop you several times as we go along, so I don't know where. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So okay, so let's stop for a second. I'm going to give you, though you haven't been around for a while, Judges. <laughs> judges is a, is a cycle, okay? This is a cycle that I've identified in my life many, many times. And the cycle goes something like this. Get blessed. Get to know God. Things are going really well with God. Then all of a sudden... He may have blessed me financially or wherever else. What happens is we get busy with the blessing. 
And that's what they did in Judges. They got business, busy with the blessing. Focused, instead of being focused on God, they focused on the blessing. And pretty soon, that blessing carried them away from God. And what God would do is we'd send an oppressor. That's why Satan's around. He's there for a purpose. If he didn't want him around, he can remove him anytime. And that oppressor, Satan for us, that was behind the ones with them, would come and oppress the Israelite people. And depression was for one thing, not because God wanted to be mean, it was because he wanted them to turn to God. He knew that when these oppressors came towards them, that they would go, oh God, oh God, help me, help me. And that's what they did. They cried out, and then he'd send a redeemer, a judge, to save them. We know a lot of the different judges in there that came and saved them. So this is a cycle, and this is one of those many cycles of judges, just like I guarantee in each and every life here, you've had that cycle over and over again, where you get caught up with God, you know, you, you, you look at the, uh, the blessing, the blessing, your next thing, you're, you're after the gift rather than giver. And then since some bad things happen in your life, you cry out to God and then you, oh God, oh God, and you get focused on God and you move back into God and he blesses you because that's his nature to bless you. And then you get thinking, oh gee, look at this blessing, oh great, how great this is, how much this is. And next thing you know, you're away from God. This is what they were. They had, they had just came off of a great time and now... So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no substance. Uh, sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come with their livestock, come up with their livestock in their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would destroy, I'm sorry, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Okay, stop there for a second. So you get the picture. The Lord allowed the Midianites and quite a few different uh, uh, ites to come and oppress them, to bring all kinds of stuff. And they got out there, and you can't even count them, there's so many. And so what they did is they oppressed them so much, they destroyed all their crops. They messed with their finances. Let's put it in today's stuff. Things went really, really wrong. Everybody turns against you. All your finances go down the tubes. You don't have any money to pay your bills. So you're hiding, and you may be homeless. Okay? Uh, that, that, that's, that's the picture. That's in modern-day terms. This God does. Allows this to happen till today. Go ahead, pick up. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Okay, remember what that's about? Remember what I talked about before, that we're to call out and remember the things. Remember, Israel was was instructed to continually to remind themselves, and that's why they have the different feasts and different things, to remind themselves of what God has done. So, okay, so they're oppressed. They're in that time where they just had a great time, and now the oppressors come in, and they've said, uh, 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 they, they've said, um, um, you know, God's servant says, you know, hey, look, look at your life. Look at all the stuff I've blessed you. Remember what I've done in the past. The key 
for us to believe to be able to go farther than we have before. A key for us to believe to be able to conquer the things that are before us. A key for us to be know that us plus God is a majority. Go ahead. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon threshed weed in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Hang on for stop there. Okay. Here you got the guy scared to death of the enemy around him. Okay, he's not what you would consider a mighty man of valor, though that's what God called him. He was hiding in a wine press and nobody had seen him. He's, you know, doing the stuff, sifting this, uh, the, uh, the wheat, I guess it was. You know, hiding because he's scared to death of the enemy around him, like we may do. And what does God say? Mighty man of valor. Is he mighty man of valor? Yeah, he is, because God said he is. But is he acting like one? No. Are you acting like one? No. Are you one? Yes. You are mighty men of valor. You are mighty men and women. I don't like to go through the neuter thing, a male or female or any of that junk. God looks at us as one, male and female. So when I say sons... And when the Bible says sons, when I say man, it means man, male, and female. Okay, there's my apologetics for the whole thing. Okay, so we're clear of that. So here it is. He says mighty men of valor. We are that same mighty men of valor. We have that same call on our life. We have to remember what's been behind us and remember what God's done in our life. And we're in a land that oppresses us as well. Okay? We're going to go through some much more serious oppression than you've ever seen in your life coming up. Okay? That's what's around the corner for us, unfortunately. So you better learn this lesson. Mighty man of valor, he's making him stand up. Okay, become who you are. Go ahead. The Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. And you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not. Okay. All right. You get this? He says, My family is the least, and I'm the least of the least. Is that how you feel? That's how I feel. What does he look for? The foolish of the world to confound the wise, the weak to confound the strong. All right. You guys qualify. <laughs> so do I. Good news, bad news. <laughs> World's view is bad news. God's news is good news. He says, I am the weakest. I don't have what it takes. Let's put in this language. I do not have what it takes to make it. What you're calling me to do, God, I don't know how to do. What you're calling me to do, I have no strength to do. What you're calling me to do, I have really no desire to do. I'd rather hide because I'm afraid I'm going to get destroyed. Now, he's saying to him here, uh, you know, look, look, did he go through the offering yet? Okay, go ahead. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring up my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. 
So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and put it in the broth and a pot, and he brought it to them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff and it was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Duh. <laughs> so, so Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God. For I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. To this day it is still in Ophrah of the Abizarites. Okay. So we get the picture here. He doesn't believe him. And he asks God to... Show me. Give me some type of sign. That's a pretty good sign if you ask me. But he still doesn't really believe him fully all the way. Later on, he goes and builds an altar. Uh, I, I mean, uh, asks for the fleece. Remember, that's, that's Gideon's the one with the fleece. So the wet on the side, dry on the side, wet on the side. And he, he asks for several different things. Because what the Lord ended up asking him to do is to take with the other thing, other, uh, uh, I think it was heifer that he brought forward, was to... To go find. Matter of fact, go ahead and read that. We might as well. We've got too much time. Keep on going. Uh, let's see where we're at. Do you want to go? Um, huh? You want to just keep going? Okay, go to 25. Let's see what he's got. Now, it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull, of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him, but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was an altar of Baal was torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to the to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the Okay, let me take it there. Uh, Asherod. Okay, this was a goddess. Okay. There was supposedly Baal's mother that was supposedly they considered the highest one. Now, I want to put that one in the modern day language a little bit too. Asherah, the actual root word of it, means to covet, to take, to want, to desire. Okay? So if you take that and, and, and look at that a little bit, they were worshiping increase. Give me more, give me more, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I don't have, whatever I have is enough. I want what you got, I want what you have, I want everything, I want more. Okay? And, and uh, that is pretty much the, the, the mantra of this world today. You know, give me, give me, give me, give me. A lot of people think, you know, they look at the scriptures and they talk about, uh, uh, you know, uh, they have a poverty mentality and they think that, okay, you know, it's the people that are rich that are wrong. No, it's the ones who want more, that are not satisfied with what they have. That thing is speaking of the spirit of not being satisfied with what you have. Warning to you. 
be satisfied with what you have, whether it's a little or a lot. That's Paul says is the secret I've learned. Be satisfied with a little or a lot. Learn how to be satisfied and learn how to listen and learn how to go forward. So what he did, he tore down the altar. He did it that night because he scared to death because of what this, the people in the city would do. Maybe it was a good idea because he may have been stopped from doing it. I don't know. But he tore it down and he did what God called him to and built an altar on it. This is the mighty man of valor that was hiding and doing it. That God says you aren't going to die. This is the same guy. Just like you and I. So go ahead. But Josh said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If, it, if he is a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jeroboam, saying that let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down this altar. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abyssalites gathered behind him, and he sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece on it, it is dry on all the ground. Then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Okay, let's, let's go to 7.1. Uh, so, if you catch it, the Spirit of the Lord got on him to do something that he would not have normally done, since he wasn't really a real necessarily brave man at this particular time. He becomes what God calls him to be, because God says it is. Just like he says, you are sons of the living God. You shall become that, unless you choose to not believe him. You shall become that. You shall become the thing that God called you to be. Because it's God that said, let there be light, and there was light. The same God that said that and spoke things into being has the ability to speak those things in your lives. That's who he is. If you want to choose to believe him. If you don't choose to believe him, you can, you can be scared. You can be a coward. So he, he, he's in this situation. The numerous, the enemy is so numerous he can't count them. Like dust in the sand, I think it says it here, but it doesn't, it says it later. Too many to count. This is the enemy he's going up against. Too many. There's not that many people in Israel compared to them. Okay? So you get the, 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 the framing of this? Go to 7-1. By the way, he did the police thing for him. Then uh, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim- That's a big thing, guys. Yeah. That is a huge thing. Here you have, say, so you've got too many of them. There's too many people. You might think, you might somehow think. Now, there's really about 33,000 Israelite people. Uh, and the enemy, there's too many to number. So 33,000 is obviously a numberable people. They can number, they can count 33,000. But the enemy was too many to number. They had more camels than they had people. 
that Israelite people. They, they, they have an unsurmountable enemy in size against them. And God says, you got too many. And he's going he's to get rid of a bunch of them. Not my idea of a good war plan. <laughs> Go ahead. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I'll test them for you there. Then it will be that of, that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, the same shall go with you and of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you. The same shall not go. So we okay. I'm going to kind of finish that story up because we're running out of time. All right. What did he do? He got rid of the people who didn't have any faith, first off. I'm going to tell you that. He got rid of them. He cleared the room of them. He said, you know, 22,000, you guys are afraid. You don't believe. You don't have the faith for this. Go home. We don't need you. But still, he had 10,000 people. 10,000 against an unnumberable amount, probably millions. 10,000, not very good odds. He says to them, you still don't have enough. I mean, you still have too many. You still might somehow think it has something to do with it. So he does this little thing, and basically uh, on one drinks on their hands, and one's that lap it up like a dog, as it says, with a hand. He keeps the ones that lap it up with a dog. There's 300 people, 300 now, this is one you can see very clearly. There's no way you can fake it. You know, there's no way you can do it. It's a faith-building exercise. I remember when Karen and I were praying for this guy with a leg, guy or girl, so long, girl, but leg that much longer. I thought, there's no way you can shift your hips to make this one work. Because people want to be healed. So very often people will do things to be healed, you know, because they want it so bad. You couldn't do it. There's too much far. And I watched it go, pop, 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 whoa. Freaked me out. Freaked me out. There's no way that could have been done. It was, an, it was a God odd. There's, there's no, it was an impossible thing. And so this was an impossible thing. And God wants to put you in impossible situations that make you very, very uncomfortable. And the natural response is, God doesn't love me. That's, that's what you say. God doesn't love me. Look what's happened. I'm being destroyed. I'm not going to make it. Not remembering all the times he saved your life. Not remembering how he called you. Not remembering all the different things he's done in your life all the way through time. To prove to you. And that's the reason Israel, the, most of Israel didn't make it in the promised land. Because they weren't able to remember what, how God brought them out of uh, Egypt and all the different miracles and stuff they did. And he got mad at them. He still gets mad at us when we don't remember what he's done and choose to believe what he said. Because if we're going to be a people that are his people, we have to be a people of faith. In him. We have to really believe that he has it. So he is going to put you in an absolute impossible circumstance all the time. All the time. This is his way. This is how God works. This is not how we work. This is how God works. His game, we play it his way. You're his. You said, okay, yes, Lord, servant, I'm yours. Whatever you say is going to happen. He said, okay. You're not going to have a chance in this. I'm going to take you to places that you can't. Can't believe. He does this because he loves us. He does this because he wants an army of people to believe. He does this so he can demonstrate to the world his power. 
and who he is. That's the game plan. The war plan, game plan. That's the plan you've been called into. If you think you're going to go out and do it any other way, you're going to sit on a pew of a dead church somewhere that they aren't going to believe and they're going to be blown away when all the stuff comes against the church that will come against the church. It says in the book of Revelation, you know, generations of people have been, had bad things happen to them. You know, uh, I just think of Steve, Stephen when he was stoned, he was sitting there worshiping God, worshiping, worshiping. Though that was a very bad situation, the presence of God was on him. The things that are on you, you have not had your blood spilled for the kingdom. You will be able to stand anything God puts in your way. So what God is doing with us now, and what I had to learn in that situation of going last Sunday, was that I need to trust him in what he says, not what I think. I looked out there, all these people, the Dalai Lama, all this junk stuff. You know, I was first got into this uh, understanding more who I am. I, would, I was afraid of the occult. I was really afraid of what they could do to me. You know, I was afraid. And, and uh, you know, that, that's who I was, afraid. I was a chicken of everything. Now, we're not, we're, you know, in battle plans in days of old, they always did this first. They inquired of the Lord. You ask, you're supposed to be there. Then they asked the battle plan, you know, you know. Then they made themselves holy, and then they made sure their camp stayed holy. And then they did what God said to do. So I, I, I reason I stop and say that I don't want you to think that anytime you go into any bad situation, this all will be okay. No, if you were doing something on your own, you be on your own maybe. Maybe God will have mercy on you on that, and maybe you won't. But you listen and you ask first and you... And if you have a heart believing that's what God told you to do, you go do it because God will be with you. This is like Gideon. Gideon said here, he ended up understanding who he was, understanding what God had said, took his 300 men, blew some trumpets like the shofar, the trumpets they had in those days. And they went and the enemy turned on itself and destroyed itself. Then he went and said, okay, guys, they're running. Let's go get them and kill them all. And they did. You know, that's what happened. 300 men killed an innumerable amount of people. They won a battle that was absolutely impossible. Now, let's stop thinking it's about them and understand this is about for us. We serve the same God that's the same today, yesterday, tomorrow he'll be there. He's always going to be the same. He works the same way. His principles are the same. He does that. He, that's who he is. These scriptures are set as a cloud of witness that we would understand who we are and what we're supposed to do and that we can trust in God. We're supposed to be able to see here that God, a principle that is so major, that he doesn't want a lot of people, that he doesn't want an even fight. And what you can see. Peter walked on water. As long as he kept his eyes on Christ, he was over the circumstances. He could walk in the circumstances. The second he took his eyes off Christ and looked at the circumstances he was in, he sunk. Begin to drown. God had to save his little tail. Same with us today. We have to believe who God says we are and walk those things out. And that means that we no longer can be pushed back that when we see like an election that's coming up that we don't like what may come, we have to stand the gap and call out to God. And we have to understand that we have the authority to do that and we have the power to do that. I don't care how many of the other people are going the other way. I don't care what the odds are. We just have to call out. It's God's job to answer. 
Just like I pray for the sick, it's God's job to answer. Well, it does or not, my job's to call out. Your job is to understand you're a majority with God. If he's called you to do something, if he's told you to do something, then you need to do it. Because it's essential for you becoming the man and woman of God that God called you to be. If you don't, you won't ever become. You'll always be a failure in the kingdom. And that's what we're afraid of anyway, isn't it? The reason we don't take the chances on that we're afraid of failing. We're afraid of looking stupid. We're afraid of rep, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Repercussions from the enemy. But believe me, there's a repercussion one way. That's why it says, fear the Lord. Because he's the strongest of all. When Dave was tested, which we'd rather have, you know, God's mercy or man's mercy, I think I'll take God's. Who am I more afraid of? You know, I trust God and I'm more afraid of God than I am the enemy. That's what you're called to be. That's what you're called to do. We have another event coming up. Uh, it's the American Film Festival. Pretty exciting to be coming about. Uh, uh, we'll get some chances to minister then. And when you go out in the, in the group of people, it doesn't matter. You don't need to think. I can tell you there's much difference in me and who I am with people and witnessing after getting that fact from God. That who I am. You know, we're Gideons. We really are. He was a great man of battle. He was powerful. But he had to believe it. I mean, you take a look at David's men. Some of David's men, just a handful of men killed thousands because they understood who they were. You have to understand who you are. You have to know and believe who you are. You have to choose to do that. 